Welcome to Women in Venture Capital. I'm Roshvina, a student at Harvard Business School with prior experience in finance and more recently venture capital in Africa. And I'm Anvita, Harvard Business School class of 22. I've actively worked in VC and tech startup space. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple. Increase the representation of women in the VC industry through awareness and engagement. So join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in VC. It is my great pleasure today to have Sinefer Mendoza and Asia Bradley on our show. Sinefer is the co-founder and general partner of Mendoza, where she has leveraged her background in design to systematically diversify their approach to LP recruitment, capital deployment, and hiring. Previous to starting Mendoza Ventures, Sinefer designed four and five star hotels internationally and worked in enterprise sales for the building industry. She transitioned to tech by COOing two startups that were founded in her living room. Asse is a senior partner at Mendoza. She has years of experience as an entrepreneur, having founded Kinley and been part of the founding team of Synapse among others. Thank you so much ladies for being on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Great. So going right in, um so I talked a little bit about your career, but um can you both tell us a little bit more about these careers and how it eventually transitioned into VC? Yeah, I'll go I'll go first. Um so like I said there were two startups that were founded in my living room and anyone who's working construction knows that that is project or product management on steroids. And so when you have that skill set of being able to um deploy actual physical furniture from another country on time, um you transition into startups really gracefully. And so after that experience and having raised capital, we took a step back and said you know it was great and it was helpful but the traditional experience of vc is that your capital comes from a black box and so after experiencing that we set about to create a different type of venture capital firm that would change the face of vc for entrepreneurs like ourselves um and i'm very lucky that asia joined our team recently so i'll let you give her background Thanks and yeah I mean I I've just been on the operator side for most of my career so started in 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 sort of hard tech at Cisco Systems um and then moved on and started several different companies so a lot of my companies have been outside of tech as well um so PR marketing communications agency that was in the Middle East um as well as a wellness center that was in Illinois um and then I realized I wanted to get back into tech and do something more impactful the main thing was when I moved to the USA as an immigrant I realized that it was so difficult for me to just have access to financial services um and i and i thought if it's so difficult for me i can't even imagine what anyone else might be going through that doesn't have all the privilege that i was born with and that i've earned over time and so i thought i need to get back into tech and join the 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 founding team at synapse financial technologies um following that i just got the startup bug in in the tech world and just continued um founded kinley which was amazing it's a neo bank that's focused on empowering black america and making sure that we can start to um narrow that generational wealth gap between uh black americans and white americans um but what i also felt was that as i was doing you know the founding routine um i found that there just weren't people that looked like me and looked like us right in in the founder space and so i started just cutting angel checks and so just you know one by one i got into a rhythm where i was doing a, a check a month 
Um, but meeting such amazing founders. And I realized that I, as an individual, couldn't just do this by myself. And as much as I enjoyed being a founder, starting one company at a time just wasn't going to, again, give me the scale that I needed to, the tech was giving me. Um, and that was when I just started researching and thinking like, maybe I do want to get into VC. But at the same time, I didn't want to just be the poster girl of diversity at a fund where <laughs> I would have no real decision-making authority or any power or where the fund really wasn't prioritizing things that were important to me. Um, I was super lucky to meet Senefer uh, and Adrian. And when I just you know started talking to them, I was like, this is the real deal. Here is a firm that actually walks the walk. Um, and we took a long time. Like it, it was it was a real dating process, right? So like you and I got to really get to know each other. We took a good eight to nine months of working together. Um, we also got to co-invest in a deal together. And I realized that we really were prioritizing the same things. And so so when we started talking about potentially working together and actually doing this, I, I was just both feet in, love it, can't can't imagine doing this with anybody else. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing this. You two make an amazing team, um, really fierce leaders come together and the purpose you laid out made so much sense. So we're really glad to have you. Um, digging a little bit deeper into how this came into being and how was the process of founding Mendoza Ventures, would love to hear the lessons or challenges from raising the fund that you can share with our listeners, some of whom might actually want to go down that path. Yeah, I mean, I think from the the founding was $10,000. So I always say, if you can set, save up $10,000, you can change the world. Um, and so we started with that. Our first check was $10,000. We then followed on. That was into a startup in Boston called Alice, which is now one of Boston's unicorns. Um, and it's off to the races with lots of people working there now, which is fabulous, 50% of which are women, <laughs> um, which is also amazing. Um, and so for us, it looked like having a lot of coffee with a lot of founders and training ourselves up on who we wanted to work with and what sectors we felt really confident in. We're geeks from Boston. So those sectors were artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and fintech. Um, we both we both had experience in those fields. And so that's where we felt confident pulling from our base. Um, and then from there, it just grew. And <laughs> it just keeps growing. Um, so now we're on, we're kicking off fund three shortly. And so we have about 15 portfolio companies now. Um, and it's a solid core team of five people. And we just opened our San Francisco office last month. So the challenges, I mean, it's funny, you guys know, as a woman in um, business, everyone always asks about the challenges. And I'm always tempted to say, no, it's been great. Like, <laughs> there have been no challenges. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that 1% of all general partners at all in venture capital are female. And that does not mean that they manage 1% of the money. And so I think that when you're in school and you hear those statistics, you say, yeah, that's gonna be tricky, but I'm tough and I can do it. Um, lots of tough people are trying to solve this problem. And I think the challenge is that when you wake up every Tuesday, you're still living that statistic, but we are working really hard to change it. 80% of our portfolio have diverse CEOs that are underrepresented in one way or another. Um, that is a groundbreaking statistic in venture capital. And so I think everyone coming out of school and trying to choose a career that your heart's in, yes, you will have those challenging days, but if you can give yourself solid metrics for success and watch how you're doing on those metrics, you can get through the challenging days. And for us, that's money into the hands of underrepresented founders to change the makeup of generational wealth. 
That makes sense. And kudos to you guys for doing that and, and having really having it the the theme of diversity top of mind when you're making these decisions is obviously the one thing that makes the difference and those numbers move. So I'm glad um that's been that's been the focus so far. And I'm really curious as a follow-up as to some of the trends um, and themes within innovation that you are excited about. You talked about AI, fintech. So really curious uh, from both of you, what what really makes you excited about innovation right now? Uh, there's so much changing, and I, you know, I'm really excited about um, you know Web 3.0 coming out, and you know what we can do in that space. Um, what makes me mo- most excited about that, though, is the fact that we can now start building from scratch a new space. I feel like Web 2.0 was di- really difficult because you had the PayPal mafia, you had them funding other people that looked just like them. Um, and now what I'm seeing is like in the Web 3 space, I'm seeing a lot of young women. I'm seeing a lot of young women. I'm seeing a lot of people of color that now have the opportunity to start building something from the ground up. Having said that, there are still a lot of challenges there. And that is still like, you know, in danger of being kind of overcome again by the same demographic. But um, I'm pretty excited to see that a lot of the funding as well that I'm starting to see is a little bit more diverse. Um, We don't have the stats on that, unfortunately, at this moment, because it is still pretty early days of Web 3.0. But at least when I go to different conferences and events and I see the demographic of those that are attending, it it does look pretty promising. So that's pretty exciting. On the fintech side, it's really um, it's it's a little bit complicated because we're seeing a lot of the regulators step in and sort of. Um, hammer down on things. And so you're seeing where initially when I, you know, was part of the founding team at Synapse um, back in like early 2016. And so things were a little bit more greenfield. And so we had a lot more space to kind of operate in. But as the regulators are paying more and more attention to banking as a as a service um, startups and looking more at those partnerships between the BAS players and the, the banks, the sponsor banks, um, I'm a little bit worried that there's going to be some tampering of innovation there. Having said that, I am still excited about the whole affinity banking play, you know, and and finally, on the financial inclusion side, companies being able to build specifically for marginalized communities that are just not being served by the incumbent bank players. I think to piggyback off of that too, there seems to be a tone in the startup community. I mean, you guys are having a very different experience at HBS now than was available to Asi and I when we were in grad school. They were prepping you to work at Lehman Brothers or Goldman or somewhere like that. And so entrepreneurship is just so encouraged now on all fronts. And from where we sit, we get to see huge financial institutions work really hard to change their own culture, to be able to meet a startup where they are, or be able to meet a demographic where they are. And those conversations are happening. I don't think the products are out there yet, obviously, if you look at the numbers and and the wealth gap and things like that. Um, But the groundwork is being laid to get the products out. Totally fair. I think you're right. Like the opportunity is huge and the wide gap is evident. It's only a matter of time that we see explosion from newer ideas and businesses coming along. Um, circling back to fixing and talking about biases, which are historical, it's interesting. Um, recently, I came across a couple of uh, creatives on social media. Um, and it's interesting because it stuck with me. Um, there were creatives saying that, imagine a CEO um, and pause and if you actually want to imagine a CEO, do you think of a guy or a wo- like, man or a woman? Similarly, think of a hairdresser um, 
and then do you think of a man or a woman or think of a you know air host and then do you think of a man or a woman um and the point it made very strongly with stuck and it's you know it's catching up at least on my feed on social media is that these biases exist across the board um while we want to put our foot down as women for instance and say that you know there is equal opportunity and we should not be categorized as certain set of professions appeal more or make more sense to us i i felt bad when i did think of a ceo and i thought of jeff bezos um i did not think of indra noe myself as well um and what you doing at mendoza circling back to this sorry this was a slight pivot out um but what you doing at mendoza ventures is attacking this in a very intentional and proactive manner so we're curious on how did that passion to invest in diverse founders and fix this disparity which is a historical bias that came into being and yeah how did you guys come up with that at 100% of our gp team is minority or female and history has shown us that if we don't write the checks nobody will that's exactly where it came from is that no one is writing checks to women or minorities the national average is 2% that's disgusting and so the beautiful thing about bias is that it works two ways you are more likely to fund a south asian woman than not because you have a connection there so is asia that's why she's on my investment committee <laughs> um our investment committee is now 50% female and 50% minority If you had a UMass grad who self-made pitch me with a slight Boston accent, I would be like, "Take all my money." It is not my fault. It is how bias works. And so, if you pull people up into the capital stack, you can have an open conversation about the bias that you're seeing play out on your investment committee and how that should or should not affect your decision-making processes. You cannot have that open conversation if you have a homogenous committee. and and building on on send something that you said earlier even about um you know the opportunities that were being offered now right um in terms of we are being taught that it's cool to be a founder um we are being taught that it's good to just get out there and change the world into what we want it to be um versus trying to join a multinational and you know incrementally make some changes as you politically maneuver yourself through a massive organization that is led again by a specific demographic so i think that makes a big difference in terms of like what we're starting to see is folks are being more empowered um to actually change that historical bias by actually rolling up our sleeves and realizing that we are the people that we've been waiting for whereas in the past we've always just waited and thought someone's going to someone's got to do this someone has to change it you know but we are the ones that can change it now and so even seeing you know faces like yours running a podcast like this who told you to do this right your heart told you to do this and that's what made you move to action um why did send decide to start writing checks because she was tired of the status quo she was tired of seeing that there's only 4% of people that are, you know, Hispanic in VC, right? That that's the kind of stuff that you want to look at is like how do we fix these changes? How do we fix these mistakes and how do we fix this systemic bias in the system? We do it ourselves rather than waiting for someone else to do it for us. And I think to the shift that's coming too is, you know, college, your your undergraduate, your graduate degree, your participation in the economy was always something that you experienced. what i've noticed with gen z and younger is that 
they are very aware that they're an active participant in that. And so wherever you got your MBA from, if you're listening to this podcast, ask them what percentage of the endowment is being managed by women and people of color, because those endowments fund venture capital firms. And before you write a check to your alma mater, make sure that they're funding people that look like you. And if they're not, hold off. (laughs) give it to somebody who is. Um, And so that sort of circular accountability in the community was not available when we were younger because, um, you know, the, the quote, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I think we we're getting it from all sides now, like American girl put a Latina in space. My daughter can officially do anything she wants. Like we're getting it from all these different cultural areas that people are now more actively participating in the systems that we're part of instead of feeling like they happen to them. And, and we're starting to realize like, and, and you can see this with me and Sen is that, you know, being that quiet person that just patiently waited, we were taught that that's how you get ahead. Right. But that was also at a time when the scarcity mindset was being ingrained into all of us, that there could only be one of us at the top. And so we had to fight each other to be that one woman in that room. And what we need to see, and I think what you're starting to see also is like, you know, Senefer started the fund and she reached out to me and said, hey, Asya, I need you to be part, you know, partnered with me on this. Let's do this together, right? It wasn't like a, well, I'm here, I've made it, I'm done. And I think the more that we start doing that is like, we climb our way to the top, but then we reach back and we pull along other people that look like us to the top as well, so that we're stronger in numbers. And I'm seeing that more and more. And by being loud, by being vocal about this, by actually standing up for what is ethically right in the world, you can actually succeed. You can have a great life. And we've always been taught that that wasn't going to be possible. That if you were the loud woman in the room, you were going to be labeled, you were gonna get fired. You may get fired, but honestly, it's fine. It's just fine because you will find a space just like we have created at Mendoza Ventures where that is actually welcome and rewarded. Those were some really powerful statements and um, I absolutely echo everything you just said. And I really like this idea of being more aware of the role that you have and going forward, how that can really change, you know, the stats and the way things are done. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, and I really liked your advice of, of asking her MBA, where does the endowment money go? Um, it's, you know, it's like sometimes it's just about asking the questions and um, being more intentional about where you're putting your money when you have the means to do it or um, your talent eventually down the line. Um, so that's that's really some really powerful insights thing. Um, before we wrap up this conversation, uh, the last question I wanted to ask you is um, what advice do you have for aspiring female investors? And I think you touched on some already, but um, maybe just one or two um, to just wrap up the, the conversation. Um, I think the first piece would be find some allies who are five or 10 years ahead of you because there is no transparency into the world of venture capital. And there are lots of complicated things like um, GP commits and things like that when you get to the partner level where you're expected to put money in, which is one of the barriers to entry in venture capital. Um, Also just negotiate like crazy. There's so many levers. You can negotiate for vacation time. You can negotiate for all sorts of things to have things like GP commits waived. They're not set in stone. Um, And so, and then also if they're, 
I would look at the makeup of the team. If a venture capital firm does not have a female general partner, it's not because they've never met one where 51% of the population. Um, and so if they don't have a track record of hiring and promoting women, it's time to really look at that. And you can be the first at anything you put your mind to, but at that firm, is it really going to be the thing that changes their mind? And to add on that and to build to that, um, I would say don't make any assumptions, right? So honor your own power because we all have our, our, our own superpower. Learn what that is, honor it, and don't assume that you don't belong in a space or don't assume that you can't do something. Or if you're looking at someone who is five to 10 years down from where you want to be eventually, don't assume that you have to wait five to 10 years to get there, right? The, a lot of the stuff that Sen and I have done in our age now are things that now have an accelerated path. And so I'll give you an example. I had no idea how easy it would be to become an LP in a fund. I only learned about that a couple of years ago. I always assumed that I needed to be able to write a million dollar check. And, you know, you needed to be one of those millionaires or billionaires that you see on TV in order to be an LP. And I would see some people that had LP on their LinkedIn and just assume, oh, gosh, like that can't be me until I started asking questions. So always be curious, always ask questions, reach out to those strangers on LinkedIn that you admire, ask those questions of them, because that's the only way that I've actually really learned and really gotten ahead. And you're going to get a bunch of no's, but who cares? That's not going to kill you, right? And, and all those no's are worth it when you get that one yes, and you get to sit there and like, Anvita, one day you reach out to Inder Nui. And you send out her a message and suddenly, for whatever reason, she's inspired and says, yeah, I'll take 15 minutes to talk to you, right? That can happen. So just really dream big and don't hold yourself back. I also want to say, because Asia is, you're such an inspirational speaker, but I want to be transparent about the fact that you and I both learned this the hard way. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, she's one of those people that always looks like she has it totally together. And Asi and I um, met and we both Googled each other because that's what you do in 2021. And we assumed that the other one was to, like totally together. And women do this to each other all the time. Asi has a beautiful family. She has this great fintech track record. I was like, she'd never want to work with me. I started a venture capital firm. I also have a great family. <laughs> she looked at me and thought she'd never want to work with me. And then she told me that she was thinking about an opportunity and I got like mad at her. And I was like, why are you doing that? Why wouldn't we work together? And she got defensive and then said, well, I don't think you'd ever want to work with me. And we kind of fought it out <laughs> and then yeah. ended up you know, starting this process of figuring out how to work together, but we wasted six months assuming that the other person would have no interest in hanging out with us. And that's just lame. So don't do that. If you learn one thing from this podcast, it's just send the email, ask the person, be embarrassing. They'll either be in your corner or they won't. Don't worry about it. Don't be lame like we were. <laughs> um, if there's one thing I have learned from having over 60 guests on the show now is um, whenever we ask this last question about, you know, advice and inspiration, there's always like this very aspirational path. But also I love how everybody ends up being very candid about it's never going to be a straight line. And these are the challenges that you just need to find some comfort level with. So um, and thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. 
Thank you, ladies. Such a pleasure to meet you both. Both are very inspirational. Check out our next episode with Julia Maltby from Flybridge Capital. See you then.